0: everyone it's time for our obscene serial story autopsy
1: cd your anagrams are showing through mr. Colvin an obscene serial story, autopsy CD. This must be the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is D. I'm here with my friend Jason, and we are joined by the brilliant company of men that make up the 30 something movie podcast. We have John, Pat, Jeff, and Dennis joining us for this incredible mega episode where we're going to talk about Silence of the Lambs. That was 30 years ago. Psycho that was 60 years ago. Right. And M which was 90 years ago, all serial killer movies and we are going to cut their guts out and string them up and <laughs> see what we think. Guys, we're so happy
0: to have you guys. How y'all doing tonight? Hey guys.
1: We all go a little mad. So Absolutely. I got to tell you guys, my brother is he listens to some of my episodes, but not all of them. The last time that I saw him, he said, I think my favorite episode that you guys did was the Star Wars special episode. And I was like, <laughs> Great. That's great. That was one of our favorite ones to do. So I think it's just great to be together with you guys again.
2: Yeah, it's so great seeing you guys. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Okay.
1: So when we did that podcast, I did trivia. I thought it'd be fun. He thought that was one of the best parts. This will be a little bit different than we did last time. I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia, see, see who can jump in, who can give me the answers here. All right. What is a horror movie that was originally titled The Babysitter Murders? <laughs> Before we get going, I just have to say, I was listening to our last episode and I heard our Manscaped ad and I was thinking, okay, this is getting a little old and crusty. You know it's getting a little old and crusty? What's that? my yard? The it's, yard? The summer is winding down and my yard needs to be mowed. I'm getting a little out of control in some areas? Some bushes need to be hedged back. Some lawn mowing needs to be done. Some weed whacking needs to be done. I'm telling you what, I like my lawn mowed and trimmed. My tree always looks taller whenever I cut my grass short. That
0: reminds me. We've got this new product that we want to talk to you about. It's called the Lawn Mower and the Weed Whacker from Manscaped.
1: Yeah, Lawn Mower 4.0 for the other things that might be a little bit old and crusty on you right now. Let's trim those things up. In addition to mowing, you probably also need to put some conditioning on your other parts that are mowed. And so there are products that they have that make things smooth and comfortable. And
0: I'm telling you, we're starting football season. You Mm -hmm. know what Tom Brady takes care of every
1: week? His balls. Tom Brady makes sure his balls are in ship shape. If you just need a little trimming, say, up in your nose or in your ears, they have got the Weed Whacker. Definitely check that out. So go to manscapes.com. Use the promo code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off of your order and check out all the fantastic stuff that they have. Whack it.
0: I got an answer. Jason's hand
1: up. You get anybody else? Anybody want to venture a guess? Up, yeah. Uh, what you got, I Dennis? I, I don't know. I would think Nightmare on
3: Elm Street, but
1: close, close. Nope, not Nightmare on Elm Street. Who got? Who else? who got one? Nobody. Ah, uh, John. John's He's got a, a hesitant hand. John.
4: I'm going to say Halloween.
1: Yep. That that's, the that's the answer. That the was the second title short. for yep. the movie Halloween was supposed to be The Babysitter Murders. All right. Add on question: whose mask was involved? Yeah, it's too easy. Shout it out if you know it. Shatner. William Shatner's face turned inside out and spray painted and all kinds of weird stuff. All right. Now, final on this particular brand of questions. How does that movie relate to one of the three movies that we're talking about tonight?
2: As the least qualified person to answer this, does it relate that, like, they put someone's face on in that movie? And in, well, I, don't, I want to be careful. We've already said spoiler and you're shaking your head. So I'm not going down the right way, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just remember that a lot of these movies are about guys who had mommy. Issues. Okay. Okay. All right. Jason's got his hand up. What do you got, Jason?
0: Well, I think that Michael Myers killed his parents.
1: That's true. That's true. But what does that have to do with any of the movies we're watching? We're well, talking about
0: Norman Bates killed his mother. Who, who else did he kill? His mother's lover.
1: And who else did he kill? The most important scene in the whole freaking movie. Who did he kill? A, a traveler who came to the hotel. Who was played by?
0: Uh, oh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis! Jamie Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis. There oh. we go. Oh. Jamie Lee
1: Janet was Lee. The mother of yes. Jamie Lee Curtis, who was in her debut in Halloween. Wow! Yes, I, I was wow. not ready for that.
3: Good one, good one.
2: Wow. I don't think wow. we have you know I don't that. think
1: we have any level eleven horror movie fans here
2: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm definitely not, but I'm just glad that he killed Jamie Lee Curtis's mom after Jamie Lee Curtis was born because otherwise we wouldn't have true lies. So I'm just saying that's that's just good news to Love me.
0: Love true lies.
1: Yep. And trading places. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you guys that Janet Lee was also with Jamie Lee Curtis in h2o mm-hmm. the halloween like uh, much yeah. later on sequel
0: they both have killer bods too killer bots, they
3: do both have killer, <laughs> killer bots. i think the tape was worn out and uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so let me ask you guys a question who likes scary movies among you i got jason raising his hand i got john raising his hand i got a a so-so oh, wave from Jeff. Pat,
2: you out on the scary movies? I don't do scary movies, but uh, I I really dug these three movies. So okay, <laughs> I, like, I like psychological <laughs> movies. And Dennis still has
1: his hand up high.
5: Okay, so smart, we...
3: smart scary movies. Yeah, smart scary movies, not slasher, killer, psycho, crazy stuff. I like yeah. a
1: good good psychological
5: thriller. That's where I'm at. But like you know, blood and guts and all that, like that doesn't do anything for me.
1: So I I wondered about this because I really I don't have much of a desire to be scared. I do. like like the thinking aspect of these movies, I don't really care to just be scared. I don't enjoy it, but I think there's a lot of people who do. There's like this safety of you're in a movie theater, and you know the the danger that you're getting the rush of fight or flight chemicals from. But it turns out a lot of people like to be scared, and Alfred Hitchcock has an incre- incredible quote on this. Shut and up! Hitchcock has incredible Quick,
5: I want to hear, I want to hear. I
1: like him. He makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, Albert Hitchcock has an incredible quote on this. He says, everybody likes to be scared. Even babies like to be scared. That's why the first thing you say to them is boo. Good quote. All right. So we're going to talk about scary movies tonight. I'm going to give you guys a quick history. So in 1896, George Malays was filming on a Paris street. He was it was one of those hand crank kind of cameras and it got jammed on him. And he finally got it working again. He started cranking it again. And he had taken, you know, a film that changed into a completely different film on the second part. And what the result was was this image that children who had been playing, some changed into horses, men changed into women. Uh, and the most spooky part, a bus full of workers turned into a hearse. And this spooky little trick became Trick Films, which was the first of special effects films that we had, which of course. Immediately led into horror films, the first of which was House of the Devil. Then we have in 1910, the first version of Frankenstein comes out from the Edison Studios of Thomas Edison, and it's a total flop. It's a 16 minute thing that really doesn't relate to Frankenstein at all. But every reviewer says this type of movie is something that not for the general public. This is something that coroners and undertakers and grave, dig- grave diggers and morgue keepers would find enjoyable, but not the general public. And so nothing happens till until about 1925 when we get Mr. Lon Chaney in this movie called The Phantom of the Opera. And he does more special effects of his own where he changes his face and you have one of the most dramatic scenes in silent films when she rips the mask off the Phantom of the Opera and he has that ghastly, toothy, sharp-faced grin looks like the girl on Fright Night.
2: Amy! Amy!
1: And then nothing happens for about six years until we get, in 1931, M. Dracula... Frankenstein: about the ninth installment of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but it was the best. So the other, other movies that came out in 31 included three from this young director named Alfred Hitchcock. So M was released in Germany, May of 1931. It didn't show up in the. US for another couple of years, March of 1933, which is about the time that Fritz Lang said, "I got to get out of this country, or they're going to kill me."
0: Awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Keep on,
4: keep on going. Keep on going. I'll man. tell that I'll tell that
1: story later. All right.
4: I think there's some controversy about didn't he kind of tell a story about how he escaped from Germany and there's some controversy about what how much of it is true?
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll
4: tell the story now.
1: Tell the story, man. Uh, So the story is he's directed this second, like basically second part to a movie that he had done before that involves like the psycho criminal. And in the second part, he is putting slogans of the Nazi party in the mouth of the villainous psychopath. And so he's feeling pretty haughty at this point. And, you know, the yellow shirts at the time are saying, we're going to take this film from you and you're not going to be able to show it. And he's like, you want to take it? You go ahead and try to take it. So they take it. And then he gets an invitation from... Joseph Go- Goebbels yeah. Goebbels yeah yeah J- Joseph Goebbels who's you know the minister of propaganda and Hitler's right-hand man and by invitation I mean order to appear and so he goes into this you know creepy marble department that uh, that uh, Joseph Goebbels has his office in he's getting pretty nervous he walks in and Joseph Goebbels is immediately friendly and shaking both of his hands and immediately starts telling him how much he loved Metropolis which is Fritz Lang's you know, big movie from 1927 and how much Hitler loved that movie and how they've decided they want him to be their head guy for Nazi films. And he says, "Um, you know, that like my mother, I converted to Catholicism, but she was Jewish, which, you know, makes me Jewish. And Goebbels says, oh, sir, we decide who is Aryan and who is not. And he's like, wow, okay. And so Goebbels starts to give him advice on his films and he keeps looking out of the window at this clock in the street thinking, okay, I've got a little bit of time before the banks close. If I can just get to the bank after I'm done with this meeting and get all of my money, I can get out of the country. But Goebbels keeps talking to him. He keeps looking at the clock. Goebbels is like, you know, there's this part in your new movie where the villain takes over the body of somebody else the movie should just end right there and he's like oh yeah you're totally right that is exactly great
0: idea great idea
1: that is exactly how my movie should end keeps looking at the clock Goebbels keeps talking and eventually time runs out and the banks are closed so he goes back home he has like five thousand dollars in cash at home and decides he's going to leave everything else. He goes to his door and sees that his building is surrounded by the yellow shirts. He's like, okay, they're going to keep me prisoner here. There's nothing I'm going to be able to do. He walks out the door and realizes they're just involved in some military exercise. They don't care about him at all. He makes his way out of Germany and into Paris. That's the story that he tells. There is some doubt about whether that's all completely accurate, but it's a good
2: story. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That's a that's a great story, John. Did you read something on that? Yeah, I,
4: I had looked up a couple yeah. of different things. And he, he ended up on the train, and they were coming around. And normally, you'd have like a conductor or somebody come around, and check your papers, your tickets, whatever. And I guess he's on the train, and according to his story, he's in one of the the train cars. And I don't I don't know if there's a couch or a bed in there. And um, he hears them coming like door to door, and he's like, "Oh crap! They're gonna like they're gonna come in here. They're gonna find me. They're gonna recognize me." And so then he's like, "All right, well, I got to do what I." You know, tell my actors to do. I got to just start faking something, and so he just starts snoring really loudly. I think he lays down <laughs> and he just starts snoring really loudly, and apparently that was enough to make the you know yellow shirts think, "Oh, somebody's in there sleeping." Let's go on to the next. So apparently he pulled a Star Wars, and somehow it was like, oh, "Well, sorry, this door is locked. Don't feel I'm like one, let's on to the next one.
1: This is not the Jew you're looking for."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I heard a story. I wanted to elaborate this. So yeah. Well, here's what I heard is when Goebbels was questioning him in the room, at one point he punched him in the face and he said, this is how we say goodbye in Germany. (laughs)
1: Uh, and there was no oh, Austrian girl there There was no that. Austrian
0: girl to make out with him,
1: so unfortunate.
5: <laughs> well played, my man.
1: <laughs> uh, nice. you, you tell,
4: I, I bought that hook line and
1: said, oh, you so all the way down. The I was like,
6: wait, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and of
4: course, Fritz, yeah, Fritz Lang's response was, I like the Austrian uh, propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, yeah. Okay, so
1: M came out in 1931 in Germany. It was directed by and written by Fritz Lang. Writing with him was his then wife at the time, Thea von Harbon. She later started having marital affairs with not him and then (laughs) joined the Nazi party. And that was enough for him to to get a divorce. And so Nazis uh, will do it. Yeah. Nazi, I mean Nazis infidelity is one thing. Nazis Nazis, the bigger Whole,
5: whole other whole other thing, man. Yeah, I hate those guys. As long as as I'm not Illinois Nazis, those guys are the worst. I hate Illinois Nazis.
1: Okay, so the original title for this movie was Murderer Among Us. And again, this got him in trouble with the Nazis because they thought he was making a movie about Hitler.
0: Hey, by the way, M is the shortest movie title of all time, but Mm. it ties with two other movies. Anybody know the answer to the question, what is the name of the other movies? I'm going to go with Pi. That would be incorrect, sir. That's-
1: nope. All right, D, what you got? Okay, there was a movie called Z. Yep. And there's a movie called
4: R. You got it. But this is definitely the most famous one-letter titled movie. Well, Pi is a uh, movie. Pie, that's just the symbol Pi. So that wouldn't be in there, too. Yeah, but it's infinity long. That's like the opposite of short. I guess that's true. I guess
1: true. I, it, was,
4: it was my understanding there would be no math during <laughs> So in researching the movie,
1: he spent eight days going to a mental institution for research, mental institution for the criminally insane. And there he met an inmate named Peter Curtin. Ooh. Do you know who Peter Curtin is? Jane Curtin's grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Nicely done. Amy Lee Curtis's great uncle. No. So Peter Curtin was known at the time as the vampire of Dusseldorf. He had literally just been arrested within the year before Fritz Lang is going in there and talking to people. A lot of people claim that this movie is supposed to be based on him. We're going to talk later about Ed Gein and how many of these movies and other movies have been based on what Ed Gein did. Peter Curtin makes Ed Gein look like Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Like it's seriously some sick and twisted stuff that I won't go into, but now it's a good time as any, if you're listening with your teenage kids, we're normally family friendly, but these movies are really, really unpleasant subject matter. And based on real stories that have even more unpleasant subject matter. So it may get a little graphic. We may want to do PG 13, Extra, yeah, right, yeah,
0: PG, yeah. PG 14. <laughs> I, I yes, just wanted to,
4: I wanted to say real quick, I made the mistake of going to the curtain Wikipedia page, uh huh, and, and now I'm feeling like in Ghostbusters, I looked at the trap, Ray. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so without, without going into a great deal of detail, because I don't like this nasty stuff, Peter Curtin was mistreated as a youth by his parents severely. That later led, on, led him to murder other women and ultimately children, and at some point was uh, excited by the blood and so drank some of the blood, which is how he got the name Vampire of Dusseldorf. When they were ultimately when he was caught... It was because he had taken a potential victim to his house she had convinced him to let them let her go and he thought she would never find his house well she could find it he sees her hanging out outside of his house he knows he's done for he's murdered tons of people so he goes to his wife and says you need to tell them that you knew nothing which she didn't "um, and you need to turn me in for the reward which she did Um, So she got the reward for turning him in, even though he was really turning in himself. Obviously he was in the mental institution for a time, but ultimately was convicted at trial. And back then they were still using the guillotine. And so as he's being walked to his death, He asked the executioner, after my head is cut off, will my ears still be able to hear the blood spurting out of my neck? Because that would be the ultimate ecstasy. That's how bad this guy is. So, M is not so bad. Yeah, really. M, you don't see any murders. You just get to imagine them as they occur. Jason,
4: what do you got?
0: Okay. Was this the first watch for you guys, for M? Yeah,
4: for me. Yep. Yep. Same here. Yep. All the way through, yes. I had seen some clips before, but all the way through. Okay.
0: Okay. I I feel like I'm going to blow your mind with this thing. If if you guys are where I think you are. Okay. So Peter Lorre is the guy who plays the murderer, right? He's the bad guy. He was known mainly for his comedic roles, but he was in a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons. Do you guys know, you recognize him from Bugs Bunny cartoons? He played Mm -hmm. like the mad scientist when they were chasing around Gossamer, the big orange monster- monsters are such interesting people well
3: that's that uh, just a minute i have another little friend who'd
2: like to eat uh, meet you.
0: but he's one of those guys that ran around with humphrey bogart and, and i remember one in one particular bugs bunny he said he makes me laugh ah! <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, he was also I, I mainly knew him, and I think that's how I came across some clips one time looking and um I think it was like maybe to see if he was still alive. I don't know, whatever, but back in the day I remember seeing that But uh he was huge in all the Vincent Price uh, Edgar Allan Poe movies.
1: Okay. Yeah, those Edgar Allan Poe movies were all done by Roger Corman. Uh, you know, yeah. those were, he, they were Fast, he was Red that movie guy. And so Roger yeah. Corman
0: has a pro, has a role in Silence of the Lambs
1: That's right. He does. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of Roger Corman mentions. I got one. I'm ready to. You ready to have your mind blown on this one, Jason? All right, let's go. Okay. He played the very first Bond villain, Le in Casino Royale, the one that came out that was made for TV that had the American actor in it. He was the original Le the original who he
0: who Peter (laughs) Lorre. What? Wow. That's good. Did his eyes bleed blood? No,
1: I don't know. I'm sure he was good at poker, though.
0: <laughs> no, it's Baccarat.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. Sorry.
0: <laughs> we came across this movie through an Ozzy Osbourne album that we went through called No More Tears. We did this about a year ago or so. Yeah. Mr. Tinkertrain was the, was the song and the video pulled clips from this movie. And that's how we came across
1: it. Right. So in the movie, he used real criminals right throwback to beat it (laughs) um and and not only were they real criminals they were real wanted criminals there were literally 24 of them arrested during the filming of the movie
0: just round them all up at once
1: hey got them all here we're done filming you can come get them now
0: round up the usual suspects That's right. Fritz Lang was convinced to make this film after reading the last scene of the script when a mother ominously warns you have
1: to watch your children. You know, I talked about Peter Curtin. He denied that it was just about Peter Curtin. He said there were lots of bad guys then. I'll throw some names out if you're one of those folks who are into the true crime serial killer stuff. Back then in Germany, you had Fritz Harriman, who had uh, 24 victims, was known as the Butcher of Hanover. Um, You had Carl Grobman, who was a cannibal, ended up committing suicide before they could convict him at trial. And you had Carl Dinky, who was known as the cannibal of Zebice. He had killed... And done other bad things to dozens.
4: You're also forgetting the hamburglar of Hamburg, <laughs>
1: <laughs> very, very uh, wanted criminal for a long time in the 70s for sure. So, we talked about how Fritz Lang had done silent movies that had done M, he had had a lot of success with silent movies. This was his very first sound movie, and he had been against sound like when they started doing it, he was like. I'm not doing a sound movie. This is, I don't like this. And then when he did it, he did everything with sound that everybody then did after him. He did narration, which had never been done before. He had a soundtrack He had a leap motif, which is where there's music connected to a particular character with that whistle of in the Hall of the Mountain King. And then he had like off-camera sounds that let you know what was going on in the areas that you couldn't see on the screen. And then he would use silence just before the big scares when there'd be a loud boom.
0: Nice. There's supposed
1: to be an earth-shattering kaboom.
0: (laughs) Where's the earth-shattering kaboom?
1: (laughs) So it turns out Peter Lorre couldn't whistle, though. Right. So when you hear the whistle, when you hear the... I'm not going to whistle. Turns out you
0: can't whistle either. I can't whistle
4: either. I'm dry, man. It's hard to talk this long. Um, That is actually, that's Fritz Lang. That's Fritz Lang whistling. It's real easy. You just put your lips together and blow.
1: Okay, so November sixteenth, nineteen fifty-seven, Frank Warden comes home after hunting all morning, goes to his mother's hardware store, walks in, and she's not there. He doesn't know why she's not there. And then he sees that the cash register is open. And then he sees a blood stain on the floor cash that register is ap- gone. And it appears that a body has been drugged out of the heart out of her hardware store. And the only other thing that he sees is a receipt. For a gallon of antifreeze and he knows there was a local there yesterday who had told his mother bernice warden that he was going to come back that day and get a gallon of antifreeze and so they immediately went to go talk to that guy his name was Ed Gein. Ed Gein. They arrested him, or at least took him in for questioning, and they went to the house to see if they could discover any clues that would lead them to the discovery of what happened to poor Bernice Warden when they went into the barn... They got the shock of their lives. They saw what they thought was a deer hanging from the rafters. As it turned out, it was the decapitated body of Ms. Warden, who had been gutted by Mr. Gein. And that was just the beginning. When they got into the house, they found skin lampshades, nipple belts, Miss Warden's severed head next to the stove, uh, the mask of a young woman who had gone missing a couple years before named Mary Hogan and a suit made of human skin. Sound familiar? Yes, it's
0: Yes. All that is uh, we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes in silence of the lambs.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I got it. It sounds gruesome, but it's really, I got big shoulders. It's hard to find clothing that fits. So sometimes you just got to make it yourself. Right. Right. Well, he had,
0: he, listen, I, I I did some reading on this. Yeah. Unlike Buffalo Bill, he had like straps on the side that he could, you know, cinch it up because, you know, you know you wanted
1: extra snug hourglass. Yeah, that's the way a woman. You want to look
0: do. hot in your, you know, skin.
1: As it turns out, Ed Gein had been kind of mentally abused by his mother, but uh, was what we would describe as codependent upon her. I guess maybe that's a slight understatement. Anyway, when she passed away, he decided the way to bring her back was to make a woman costume, which he would don in the full moon and walk out in the middle of the night and dance around in his yard.
0: Boy's best friend is his mama. Yeah.
1: All right. So there was a guy or a writer named Robert Block, who just happened to live 40 miles away from Ed Gein. And so he decided to drive out there and do a little research. And what resulted was a book called Psycho. Anybody read the book? I've not. Nope.
0: Nope.
1: I haven't. All right. Somebody who did read about the book was a guy who had been described as the Fritz Lang of England, a guy named Alfred Hitchcock, who had become basically the Steven Spielberg of the 1950s and was at the top of his game. And he hears about Psycho and asks his company, his studio company, to buy the rights to it. They don't do it. They're not interested. And so he gets them himself, pays $9,500 to Robert Block for the rights to Psycho, what would go on to become his most famous movie. Okay, so when he wanted the screenplay written, he went to talk to a guy named James Cavanaugh who was a writer for Alfred Hitchcock Presents, his TV show that was going on at the time. Uh, That guy brought back a story that bored him to tears, which I don't know how you make a story about a psycho killer who dresses like his mother boring, but somehow this guy managed to do it. So they tapped a guy named Joseph Stefano who had only written one movie before this called The Black Orchid and said, we want you to talk to mr hitchcock hitchcock wasn't initially interested until stefano told him that he was in psychoanalysis and at that point it became interesting he's like i think i can i can do some psychoanalysis stuff with this character and the fact that he has his mother's attachment thing going on and he wrote the perfect script and as it turns out his first draft joseph stefano's first draft was the draft they used to shoot the movie.
0: I think it's interesting that they used their TV crew. I mean, this this was made at, a, I mean, the budget was 800000 less than a million dollars. And uh, they used their TV crew. They used all the guys that they shot the Alfred Hitchcock Presents
4: show. Did you guys ever watch that show? Yeah, we used to watch that show all the time. And my yeah. parents actually used to kind of joke about it because when I was a baby, I was I they used to call me Alfred Hitchcock because I like look like, like a baby. I look like a baby. I look like Alfred Hitchcock when I was a baby. So sometimes they would my dad would like do the da 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 dum da dum and he would turn me sideways and try to take pictures of me that way. So <laughs> basically what I'm saying was I was a fat baby. <laughs> Dad's a funny guy. Um, So yeah, the studio that Hitchcock was
1: working for at the time was called Paramount. Heard of them, right? Yep. The cat, the mountain, the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark, right? Okay. But Paramount was like, "This is repulsive. There's no way that we're going to allow you to make this movie. We're not going." He's like, "I will tell you what. I will shoot it for less than a million dollars. You do not have to pay me the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that you normally pay me as a director fee. I'll just take a sixty percent stake in the movie. Good business decision for him. It was. Yeah, it was." Wow. All right. The serial killer list continues. And do you guys remember the 80s? Do you remember all of the serial killers that were doing stuff in the eighties? It was it was crazy. Like they were all over the place. Okay. So you you had Ted Bundy, who I realize he did most of his killing in the 70s, but he was obviously went through the whole trial, all of that stuff in the 80s. So you got Ted Bundy, you've got Gary Heidnick, you've got Ed Kemper, you've got Gary Ridgeway, you've got Alfred Trevino, Trevino, um, and Ed Gein. Of course, was not in the 80s, but he is on that list. These are all guys that Thomas Harris used as inspiration for Jamie, Buffalo Bill, Gum in his book, Silence of the Lambs.
0: Yeah. Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, they were John Douglas, the character that Jack Crawford is based on. They were pursuing him at the moment when they were uh, filming and working on all that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So Ed Gein, obviously we've got the skin suit, right? The sewing, that's that's that relation with Ted Bundy that you remember the arm brace that he's got at the beginning when he's loading the couch. That was a trick that Ted Bundy would use. He'd use crutches or an arm brace to look helpless and use that to lure his victims in. Gary Heidnik is the guy who, this is interesting. I I had to read on this guy a little bit. He developed his own, like, religion. And within a few years, this religious sect that he had formed had half a million dollars. Like, he had invested with Edward Jones and, like, was a wise and savvy investor who then later on gets a bunch of prostitutes and keeps them in a pit down in his basement that's the that's the way it relates to silence of the lambs but he tried to plead insanity like the rest of these guys but the Edward Jones guy or his whoever is financial advisor was like nope He absolutely knew right from wrong. He was a savvy investor. There's no question. This guy is not insane. And that's how he was one of the only three people who've been executed in Pennsylvania since they
3: reinstituted that.
0: All right. So what about 1986's Manhunter? Are you guys familiar with that one? Seen that one? Thoughts on that one?
3: Yes, I've seen Manhunter. Anybody else? I've not
5: seen it. I I know it exists. I've I've never seen it. No.
0: So that was a flop. Brian Cox actually plays Hannibal Lecter. I want you to help me, Dr. Lecter i thought so. it's about atlanta and birmingham
1: yes
0: you want to know how he's choosing them don't you
1: uncle argo yeah
0: daphne's dad on fraser to me but
1: yeah or the you know the main bad guy in the born identity movies yeah what'd you think of it dennis do you remember
3: that it's from a long time ago and i mean i it wasn't as good i was i think i was expecting more because i think i saw silence first and then obviously then that one and i, I think it was a bit of a letdown wasn't as good, My underwhelming. Opinion. I guess is what I would think. It you know. So I remember seeing it. Some good spots, some good parts, but then overall, like it had a kind of a. From what I remember, a pretty creepy vibe. At that time, I was about like I'm trying to think when I saw that late teens maybe. So yeah, so it it wasn't like it's not anything that impressed me though overall. But I think it had a, a decent creepy vibe to it at some at some points. Of I,
1: I saw it in the late '90s, and I I would I liked Silence of the Lambs. Okay, so I was like, oh, this is the prequel to that mm-hmm. I, and michael mann is the same guy who gave us miami vice and as, as soon as it started going i was like oh this is like silence of the lambs miami vice style <laughs> that's
3: right. exactly what it looked like crockett and Tubbs sure.
0: come in they get lecture
3: <laughs> i think dennis farino was in there too the guy yeah. from um like the t- what was it uh get shorty what was, most, what was the tv show where he was in there Den- new york he was in a cop show dennis farino he's a uh, chicago actor
4: yeah he was a- on orders for a bit so this is interesting
0: to me so manhunter michael mann tries his hand at the hannibal lecter character it flops at the movie theater dino de Laurentiis was actually the producer of it of course dino de Laurentiis, uh famous for all kinds of awesomely bad movies from the 80s flash Flash gordon yeah conan the barbarian and so he had the hannibal lecter character rights and when orion went to him he's like i can't do anything with, with this character here you go Gave it over for free.
4: Little known fact, they were actually planning to do a musical of Hannibal Lecter. And that was one of the songs. They were going to take it from Flash Gordon, but it was going to be Flesh. (laughs) Back to our Roger Corman reference. Uh, Jonathan
1: Demme was a guy who had gotten his start with Roger Corman. I took a look at him. His first movie was a girl prison movie called Caged Heat. I made the sacrifice and watched that for you guys. I did indeed. Well, lots and lots of boobies. (laughs) Lots. Mm And lots of movies Beyond that, not a really great movie. But what? He, he he went on, he he improved, he got better. He ended up making a movie called Melvin and Howard, uh, which Mary Steenburgen won Best Supporting Actress for her performance in. And then he did a movie that we've talked about. This movie's called Something Wild. Do you remember where we talked about this? Jeff Daniels, Dumb and Dumber. There you go. So he did something wild, which is the movie that they talk about in Dumb and Dumber. Then he did Married to the Mob, and then he got tapped to do this movie. Well, the book had been out, and Jodie Foster was like, I want to play this part. She petitioned to play this part, but when she found out that Jonathan Demme was going to be directing it, she was like, well, he's definitely going to be giving it to Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't even need to bother, but I'm just going to go and meet him and let him know I'm interested as a plan B. And... That worked because Michelle Pfeiffer said, no, nah, no, I don't want to do that. Seems gross. Seems gross. And so she got to play the young officer Starling.
4: Good thing about uh, Something Wild, also starring Ray Liotta. Yeah. yeah. If you see the uh, sequel to uh, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, is not he getting his brain eaten in that movie?
0: It eat his brains.
4: That's yes. right. Yes. Yep.
1: yes. While, while he's alive still.
4: Yeah, just a little bit at a time and and
1: as long as we're making connections, there was a movie that came out called Hitchcock, which starred Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins as As Alfred Alfred Hitchcock while he was directing the movie Psycho.
0: Other names associated with Clary Starling were, were Meg Ryan, Nicole Kidman and Halle Berry. You guys probably didn't have a lot of time, but what, what do you think in recasting wise? Is Jodie Foster the perfect one? Do you have anybody else that would be yeah, better? Let's,
1: let's start with Jodie Foster. Who would you guys cast instead of Jodie Foster?
3: Back then or now? We don't back care,
1: back do now. Let's say they're rebanking it now. Who are you gonna cast now?
3: Scarlett Johansson. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh hot. <laughs>
3: Maybe Sigourney Weaver back then. I would, would have been interested.
2: Okay, that's a good one.
3: Pat, you got any thoughts on that?
2: Well, see, and I'm looking at jody Foster's age back then. Monica you know.
3: doesn't count either.
2: Yeah, I, I figured. I figured. <laughs> I I struggled with this question, and you know, it's it's really interesting. You know, I'm. I'm kind of lost in thought with everything you guys are mentioning, like, oh, that would be interesting seeing that person play this role, mm, that would be, I don't know if I have anything to offer to the conversation with that. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard. When I go back and watch movies when I was younger, I tend to see those actors and actresses like I did when I was that age. So when I rewatch this movie, Jodie Foster seems like someone older than myself, even though when I'm looking at the age that she was and she would feel he was a few years younger than uh, what I am right now.
1: If it helps at all, she was born in 62. So she would have been 29 yeah. whenever the movie came out.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like I said, I was obviously well younger than that when the movie came out and I'm slightly older than that now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to keep just saying I don't have anything, guys. But it's it's interesting because Jodie Foster really just seemed to bring something like just a very unique touch to this. And so it's kind of hard to imagine who else, either now or back then, that would fill that role. Halle Berry, that struck me as pretty interesting because, John, didn't we just do a movie where Halle Berry was like her first role? Yeah, the... um. Yeah. Uh. Uh. She was Sam Sam Jackson's girlfriend in um, um no. Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever. Yeah. Yes. And and so like that. Really, I'm kind of stuck on that name because wow, that's a really interesting question. Recasting this role as Jodie Foster because she really just seemed to nail this character. She was the real deal. I mean, she was not quite in over her head. She was she was equal to most all of the challenges presented to her in the movie, but then she was also very vulnerable to Hannibal Lecter. And I want to say that in, in I don't want to jump the gun with trivia here, but I want to say that there was something that Anthony Hopkins did in a scene. I think it was going after her accent or something that Jodie Foster wasn't ready for. And that like set her back a peg when, you know, all of a sudden Anthony Hopkins was coming after her the same way that Hannibal, yeah. So I was just going to say it would have to be someone that was like both strong, but also vulnerable. And uh, so I don't know. I-
5: I've got two names that I
2: yeah take mine Jeff I'm- that,
5: that that kind of jumped out at me. One was Gina Davis. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and the other was Demi Moore. Too I feel hot. like maybe not so much the physicality of like you know running through the uh, doing the coursework, but just some some of the psychological stuff and portraying that aspect of character.
4: Both of those could have brought a very interesting take to that character. John, you got anything? I The one I had in mind, um, I, I had one kind of playing around in my head, but it's because back in the late 80s, early 90s, I just wanted to see every movie she was in. Um, so one of my first thoughts was a Winona Ryder. And for Connolly. Well, that yes. That, uh, never mind. All right. I'm just going to excuse myself for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go watch Labyrinth. I'll be back in a little bit. Uh, but the other one I was thinking about, because, Pat, d- to your point, too, with the character of, uh, I always have to say it, Clarice, with the character of Clarice, um, it's gotta be somebody who is almost, almost seems like physically, physically unassuming or physically I don't know, weak is not the right word, but, but someone who you're going to under- underestimate her a little bit, you know, you might look at her and be like, all right, well, there's, there's not much there to her. And she's, you know, she's, she's probably a, a, a very quiet person, but she's got a strength to her that she will just walk right into this. Mental institution and walk right up to one of the worst killers uh, in the United States and start having a conversation with him. So, somebody that I thought could potentially do something like that, Uma Thurman, I thought might not be a bad choice for something like that. Yeah. But I mean, you've got, I mean, even her name, like she's, her last name is a bird. It's, you're, so you're like, and he kind of plays off of that a little bit when he refers to her as Starling, you know, fly away. And it's got to be, it's got to be something that there's the, When you first look at her, there's the innocence, there's the almost the unassuming nature, but then it's got to be somebody that can walk right up and just start having a conversation with Hannibal the Cannibal. So when Jonathan Demme was
1: casting the FBI extras, whenever she's going through the FBI Academy at the very beginning of the movie, he deliberately cast guys who were tall. He was trying to find guys that were over six foot tall. And I don't really think of Jodie Foster as this teeny tiny lady, but that's just because she's been up with actors who are not particularly tall. But there's that scene where she gets on the elevator and like, it's a bunch of guys and her, and she looks like a head and a half shorter than everybody else. And so I think that's right. It's like, you're setting the stage to say, here's this little girl and then she goes and is tough with him and is and holds her own like she's been trying to hold her own her whole life so my answer to the question born the same year jennifer jason lee nice
4: my one of my favorite things about that scene in the elevator is when is when she goes all right before we get started <laughs> <laughs> does anybody want to get off <laughs>
1: That's a good one. I thought you were going to say she pushed all the buttons and said, ooh, like a Christmas tree. (laughs) What about Robin Wright? Same birth year. I looked at her. Same deal.
0: You know, she's beautiful, talented, smart, can hold her own. I like it. The one I came up with, Jamie Lee Curtis. I didn't even think about her connection to Psycho, but she's beautiful, but she could be tough, you know? So, and she kind of fits that age range. She seems old now, but...
1: Yeah, it seems like she'd been older. She was major. My record. first my first thought was Holly Hunter, but she's a little older. She's a little older, but I mm-hmm. thought she'd have the good Southern accent and the right height.
0: Okay, let's talk about Hannibal Lecter for a minute. You guys ready? We ready to yeah. get everybody in that one? All right. Hannibal Lecter. He's ranked as the number one villain of all time by AFI over Darth Vader. Wow. Number one. I don't know how to agree with that. He's awesome. I mean, the character itself is awesome.
2: Kind of hard to root against them at some points in the movie. I mean, I was kind of like, sort of like rooting for the monster in a monster movie or the sharks in Deep Blue Sea. It was like, dude, this guy's going to get out. That's pretty cool.
0: So Anthony Hopkins was cast, of course, won an Oscar, did a fantastic job. But I'm just going to throw these other names at you to see what you think about. These are the guys that were considered for Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Robert Duvall.
1: I'm getting a head shake from John. Get a nod from Pat. Okay. Get a blank stare from Dennis and Jeff.
0: <laughs> I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's menacing in any way. He's too nice. He seems sweet. All right, John Hurt. John Hurt's the guy from Alien, right? That has
1: the thing come out of his chest. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay.
0: So I've got some. These names blew my mind. Okay. So Robert Duvall, Jeremy Irons, I think would have been good.
5: That's who uh, I was thinking. Jeremy Irons popped into my mind. Scarf.
0: He's scary, right? I mean, he's menacing.
3: Scar. Uh,
0: Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman.
3: Ooh, that one no. How
0: about Patrick Stewart?
5: That'd be interesting. That'd be that'd be kind of cool. Dustin Hoffman, I can't see that though.
3: Dustin Hoffman's about five foot one. <laughs> what scariest thing he's ever done? Rain Man.
4: <laughs> There's definitely thirteen bodies buried in the backyard. <laughs>
0: So here you go, Louis Gossett Jr., John Lithgow, and the one that blew me away,
4: Christopher Lloyd. Body, body is very heavy. Help me drag it.
2: <laughs> it's interesting because, like, I could see Christopher Lloyd yeah. and I could see Patrick Stewart, right? And it's funny because, like, I know Christopher Lloyd obviously is Doc Brown, like he is Doc Brown, but he was also Commander Krug in Search for Spock. So, so I've seen him as a villain. So. I I think, hello, judge. Oh yeah. Jeff, that's exactly right. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. He would, he would seem to be, I don't, I don't know if unhinged is the right word. The Anthony Hopkins portrayal of him is, I I don't want to say more cultured, but I'm just going to say more cultured. Whereas I think Christopher Lloyd, at least based on the other characters that he's played would be a little bit more psycho guy right? Patrick Stewart, you know, obviously John Luke Picard. And then also in Dune, he played, I, I always forget the guy's name, but not Halleck. Was it Gurney Halleck or whatever? He was, he was the, uh, in Dune, he was the prince's like right-hand man, but seeing him as a bad guy, he's, I know he's been a bad guy in at least one film, but I could see Patrick Stewart just, you know, pulling on all his capital A acting chops and really Like that would be cool, but but I mean Anthony Hopkins is is so good. Don
5: Lisca was was a yes off that list too.
4: I'm I'm a little surprised that they didn't uh, throw this out the Willem Dafoe. That's oh, that's a good one. Yeah, because I feel like I mean you look at you look at some pictures. Question. I feel like you look at some pictures of Hannibal Lecter, and like one of the things that one of the things that really gets me when I look at pictures of him is he look like Anthony Hopkins looks like a reptile. And I know that that was one of the things that he specifically brought to that character was, you know, he, he I think he based it off of a friend of his who, who had this habit of not blinking. And then he also was like, well, reptiles don't blink. So I blink in my scenes unless it's at a dramatic time. Um, I'm gonna be very intentional about when I blink. And so he's just got, even if you look at still photos of him as Hannibal Lecter, he looks like a reptile. And then when he's got the mask on in those other scenes, you just, you see his eyes and they're just, his eyes are just massive. And, and I look at a picture of Willem Dafoe and I'm like, okay, he could pull off the reptile look. He could pull off the, I'm just a normal person. I'm, I'm very educated. I'm, I'm a well-rounded human being, but if you let me out of this cage, I probably will eat your face. Yeah. I could believe that.
3: I'm jumping ahead, but it was like, Willem Dafoe is one of the ones that I had also to play Buffalo Bill. And I can't see how he could play either one of those roles. He could probably do both. Like, I mean, that obviously at the same time, but, um, he could do one, I think he qualified for both of those roles. So, Willem has got that, like you said, that that range of if he gets really serious and kind of creepy. Now, back to Lithgow, um, I think we were searching for one. If anybody's seen, obviously, Dexter, he played a, a full season on Dexter and was a really good serial killer in there.
1: Okay, so my pick for Hannibal Lecter would probably be Jack Nicholson among them, but he was considered the one that you haven't mentioned that I thought would be a good one would be Jeff Goldblum. Oh
0: yeah, that's right. Can do the fly.
1: Yeah. He can do smart. He can do smart and poised, even though he does that affectation that he does, he can pull it back and do something like the fly where he's smart and poised and awesome. He can talk about chaos theory.
4: (laughs) Uh, he, uh, hello, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> I had, there were a couple other ones that I had from back then. One of the other ones I thought of was John Malkovich.
0: Yeah.
4: Oh yeah. Oh, there, there you go. go. Um, when I did, when I did some of the names for today, like if we were going to cast the movie for today, the one that I wrote down for Hannibal Lecter was Jackie Earl Haley. Mm-hmm. Oh
0: yeah. Yep. Nailed it. Yes. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta look a little off. Jonathan Demme offered the part to Sean Connery. That was his first choice.
3: Clarice. <laughs> Christopher Walken, I think, could have done that pretty well, though. Christopher Walken,
4: yeah. A a census man tried to test me. (laughs) His liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti.
3: (laughs) And then the other one for today, I would have been Christoph Waltz. Oh, that that'd be awesome. That'd be great.
4: Nice.
1: Okay, so Buffalo Bill, you got uh, alternatives for Buffalo Bill? I don't have any alternatives for Buffalo Bill.
0: I know Ted Levine got the part. He's actually from Belvedere, Ohio. The house that James Gum gets captured in at the end of the movie was right next door to the house where his high school girlfriend lived, literally. Wow. (laughs)
1: I've been here. (laughs) I've been here before. I got
0: the second base right there.
1: (laughs) Mystery of the Bra class solved. solved. That's right. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't have anything uh, on who possibly was uh, replacing him, but what do you guys got for alternates for Buffalo Bill?
3: Michael Emerson was one guy from uh, Lost. Okay. And then, I, and this is weird. You wouldn't think this one, but I, I don't know why, but Dax Shepard for some reason popped out. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> wow. Would have been a little funnier. Yeah. Dude.
3: yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see him in a serious role. It would have been interesting to see if he could pull that off.
1: I don't think I could see him do the tucking scene without laughing. <laughs> <away>. <laughs> you got to be able to pull off the tuck scene.
3: Also, Jake Busey, I would say.
0: There
1: you go. That's that's yeah, a good one. Nailed that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Of the time, at the time, Steve Buscemi.
2: I did the 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 Joker's from the the more recent Batman movies. Either um, it was a uh, Joaquin Phoenix, right? It was or or, um, Jared Leto
1: would be too pretty.
2: Who was, yeah. Who was the, who was the one in the Chris Nola? I can't think of his name. Ledger. Um, Heath Ledger. Okay. I, I think, you know, Heath Ledger yeah. or Joaquin Phoenix, sorry. Uh, I think would make a real interesting, you know, being able to, uh, play that character.
3: Joaquin Just,
0: Phoenix oh. would do the
3: tucking
1: scene. 100%. Yeah.
3: Two other ones were on my long list were, uh, Crispin, look, Chris Glover and Andy Serkis. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you Those go. would both be Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's a
4: great. I had, uh, for, for names from today, Joaquin Phoenix was on mine because I'm picturing like the whole tucking and dance scene and <laughs> or, like dancing down the staircase and the, yeah, that whole thing. Um, and then the other one I thought of that could be like somebody from today that could be kind of interesting was Tom Hiddleston. I kind of like that. I, when I picture Buffalo Bill, like, I f- picture kind of like a like a tall kind of lanky guy. And I don't know, just when, when he plays Loki, I, I picture him as being kind of a tall lanky guy. Um, and I think he's got enough acting chops that he could pull off. He could pull off the socially awkward, weird, you know, whatever he needs to do to be Buffalo Bill.
0: He could do Lecter. Yeah, yeah, uh,
4: yeah matured, he could. English, yeah, smart.
0: Yeah, you know? I've, I've got a
5: couple names that kind of popped. Yeah, go ahead. Popped in my head. So this would be back in early '90s. That it, there's something about these actors that could portray the the really off the wall in an uncomfortable sort of way type of character right so like nick cage maybe edward norton because when you think of uh that the William movie graham. he was in with richard Gere, yeah uh, no, primal, primal fear primal fear yeah like that
4: sort of character which oddly enough edward norton was the main character in red dragon the prequel movie that's right well, there we go oh uh, yeah and Will then graham. detective Bill
1: right? graham yeah. yeah
5: and
0: then gary oldman was the other name that came to mind
1: Oh yeah, well Gary Oldman could play any part in any movie, That's anytime, true. anywhere.
0: He actually plays Mason Berger, the guy who ate his face in what is it, Hannibal? He plays in a sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Gary thought... Oldman
1: could have played Clarice and done it well.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of speaking of Clarice, I, I just thought of a couple names that Katie Holmes or Jennifer Lawrence. I think from today. I
4: earlier when you when you said Jennifer Connelly, I got distracted. But the more I thought about it, <laughs> actually, I, I think of her in. Um, uh, we had been watching the show Snowpiercer, and like her character in that. If she was just a maybe a little bit younger, but playing that character, I don't know if you guys have seen that TV show, but she's got, you know, she she has a little bit of a physical stature that's unassuming kind of a deal but she's also strong and confident and she can walk into a room and tell people what to do and um so actually a a jennifer conley today wouldn't even be a bad choice for a clarice
5: that's where i circled back to robin wright yeah i think robin wright could have pulled that off too especially when you once you find out what she's really capable like her character in house of cards yeah was like frightening Frighteningly strong, frighteningly tough. So I think you know, knowing that she has that within her, thirty years ago in the '90s, I think she could have been a great Clarice.
2: Who played Zoe Bartlett on West Wing? <laughs>
4: Talking about Elizabeth Moss.
2: Yeah. How about Scarlett Johansson.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and we've come full circle. I
3: would go. I would go. Maybe another one I would throw in would be another of my favorites that I always just love was uh, Sandra Bullock.
0: Yeah, she can play about anything. Okay, just some names for uh, Jack Crawford. Scott Glenn actually played the part in the movie. They They thought about Michael Keaton, Mickey Rourke, and Kenneth Branagh. I thought those were pretty good names. And Gene Hackman, I don't know if you guys know this or not, he bought the rights to Silence of the Lambs. This was supposed to be his directorial debut. I don't know what he was looking at, but after he bought it, he thought, no, this is too gross, too graphic. And he bowed out. But I also heard him as directing and playing Crawford. And uh, Jack Crawford's character is based on the real life John Douglas. I've read his book called Manhunter. Fascinating.
3: But it'll give you nightmares. I would have said Kevin Spacey maybe, too, for that role, too. Could have been pretty interesting.
0: Yep, Loris Fishburne actually plays him in the
4: TV series. Did you guys anybody seen the TV series? No, I haven't. Yeah, they had a TV series that was called Hannibal. Wasn't it was just a few years ago? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they've got one coming out this year, or it has been out this year, called Clarice.
0: Oh, I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, I, a- I. So
5: I. Well, that's what I thought you were talking. I started watching Clarice. I only got like two or three episodes in, and it was just it was not landing well.
1: Okay, trivia question. Name the first slasher movie the first movie with a toilet the first movie with a toilet flush and first movie with a girl and just her bra and slip that'd be psycho 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 is the correct answer very good all right now real quick what was the boyfriend's name in psycho sam yeah sam what sam, sam. Why wise gamji oh <laughs>
0: sam loomis
1: Sam Loomis is the correct answer. Where else is there a character with the name Sam Loomis? Halloween. I did not call your name, Mr. (laughs) Colvin. Please stop shouting the answers out. Sorry. The answer is correct. It is Halloween. The doctor in Halloween is named Sam Loomis as a throwback to Psycho. So another relation, if you will. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about first scene and best scene for each of the movies all right so first scene of M, you've got the kids dancing around in the circle playing the game where like people are getting hacked up and <laughs> you got to get out of the circle if you get hacked up right and then the mothers are like stop you know stop playing that game the other mother is is like hey at least if we can hear them we know we're th- they're there they're there And then you see the wanted poster, you see murder on the wanted poster, if you happen to speak German. It's not a real hard translation to make, but then a shadow comes over the word murder and it's the killer. Right. What do you guys think? What'd you think of the first scene?
4: Of of M, I thought that was great. Like, I thought, especially knowing that this is one of the earliest movies that incorporated sound, you know, to start it off with. I mean, because always, and at that point it, it wouldn't have been the case, but. But I, I always I always love a good creepy child in a horror movie, um, you know, and, and the, the kids song that they were singing was like just creepy enough to be like, all right, well, I can I can see where if somebody watching this in 1931 was like, good Lord, that was a morbid little song being sung by children. You know, I, I, that may not have started the trend of let's put creepy kids in movies to scare people.
5: Yeah, I thought it was very simple, right? There, it, it wasn't too complex trying to set up too many possible avenues of, you know possible misdirection or red herrings like we're pretty much going to tell you what's going on these kids are going to sing about it their their mothers are going to clarify some things and then we're going to see the murder like the word murder show up and then you get the entrance of the murderer like yeah that that's pretty much everything i need to know right now so thank you very much For these three and a half minutes, I hope the rest of the movie isn't as obvious as the the first handful of minutes were.
2: I agree with everything that's been said. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis, did you get a chance to watch? uh, Yeah, I did. Now, the
3: one thing, I I watched both the title version for half of it. I did watch the English version. I was just curious because you said the science is murder, which I thought, too. What's interesting on the English version, because what they do is they'll suppose the English text over And it just says 10,000 marks reward missing. It doesn't say murder in that one version, which is weird. Hmm. So I was just wondering how, when they translate, it was interesting how they, if that was correct, that was missing or murder. Because I was like wondering, are they in the, in the, in the German part, it looks like it's almost a question mark of something. Is it murder or is that like, I wonder, I took German, so I should know this, but um, for two years, but in high school but i yeah I'm, I'm just curious what that sign really said in german because to me it looks like something murder probably for a reward
1: yeah so they 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 re-filmed like a lot of this a lot of the movie for to be to be in english okay so they refilmed it you know you've got the original version that fritz lang did and then they re-filmed a lot of it to be in english and peter lorre played his same part in the English version as well. He had escaped to the U S by then. Cause he was also Jewish and knew it was time to get out of Nazi Germany. And that was his first English speaking movie was this movie. Really? Yeah. So his second English speaking movie was the man who knew too much, which was directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick Second to do our new segment called the Shirley Showcase. Today, we have Mr. Dayton Johnson.
0: Yeah, Dayton Johnson's a friend of ours. He has been on the a Film By podcast, which those guys are friends of ours. And now he's got his own podcast called Docking Bay 77. That and is some
1: sort of Star Wars reference, right?
0: That's what I took it as.
1: I think it's got to be. We got to ask him that question. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear from Dayton Johnson. He's got an episode, a throwback to one of the episodes that we did last year, season one. And he's going to give us his opinion on that.
6: Yeah, Dr. Feelgood and Skid Row. Here's Dayton Johnson. Hey guys, it's Dayton from the Docking Bay 77 podcast. I thought I'd do a Shirley shout out to one of your older episodes. Skid Row versus Dr. Feelgood. A little history real quick. I've been a fan of Motley Crue for a while. I still actually own my original Shout at the Devil on vinyl. And I actually did buy Dr. Feelgood when it was released back in 89. Skid Row's a little different. Yeah, I heard him on the radio a lot. and I had friends that had their CDs, so I got to listen to them. But it wasn't until the last year or so that I actually bought Skid Row and "Slave to the Grind on CD. Now, when comparing these two records, I decided to look at the songs that weren't released as opposed to the singles, because both records had a lot of great singles released off of them. So when I started looking at Skid Row, Songs like Sweet Little Sister, Making a Mess, and Can't Stand the Heartache really stood out as really good rock songs. Midnight Tornado also stands out, and to a lesser extent, Rattlesnake Shake, and Big Guns. It's a really solid record, especially since it was a debut album. Dr. Feelgood had a lot of good singles released off it, every one of them is stellar. But when you look at the other songs on the album, they're really not all that great. I mean, yeah, there's a nice bluesy swing to them, but I didn't find myself singing along to them, and I really just kind of let them play in the background, and sometimes even skipped. So, I'm kind of surprising myself, because going into this, I thought I knew my answer, but after. revisiting both records, I decided that Skid Row put out a better record. Even though I think Dr. Field is a great album, Skid Row just kind of edges it out. For a debut album, it really does rock. Hey guys, thanks for letting me do this. And I'm looking forward to more good episodes.
1: All right. I love it that he had the experience like we've had before where we revisit something and we're amazed that we missed out on on the first go round.
0: I think when you compare album to album, I've got to agree with him. I think Skid Row's album is better than Dr. Feelgood, even though I love Dr. Feelgood. Dayton, thank you for doing that for us. We really appreciate that. Go check out his new podcast, Docking Bay 77.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dayton. Really appreciate you and all your input. And uh, also be sure and go check out the A Film By podcast with Dayton and friends.
0: All right. So that's going to do it for part one of our M versus Psycho versus Silence of the Lambs episode. We'll be back next week with the awesome 30-something guys again as we continue our conversation, getting a little bit more in depth this time with those three movies.
1: Excellent. Look forward to seeing you guys then. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss that episode.
0: Subscribe to us, subscribe to 30 something, and subscribe to Pocket Full of Kryptonite podcast.